1st of June, in the year of our Lord, 1665. I had hoped that that virulent pestilence would never touch my beloved Cambridge. And now I see even here, in this seat of peace and tranquility, its wizened and deathly fingers pervading the streets and alleyways. Several houses along this very street have been shut up, and with a scarlet cross spread across their doors. Lord, have mercy on us. It is writ above the door. I say it often also. As a man of science, one would not imagine it should be so. But I find when you are faced with potential oblivion, if not oblivion that is inevitable in nature, it is best for one to keep the most open of minds. I do not wish to die. But if it is to be, then it shall be. In his letters, my friend Samuel writes that it is his diaries that are keeping him sane and straight. I believe the written form is a dying art, and that my humble experiment with tangible phonetics, as I have named it, will surpass the written word in its entirety. It is indeed how you, dear friend, are hearing my words and thoughts. So, how do I do it, you may ask? I will be brief and scant with my details, as the patent has not yet been granted, but... Pray excuse me, I, I fear it is the doctor. The doctor prescribed me bed rest and tobacco to smoke and to chaw. He also offered plague water. But I do not trust modern remedies. Hastened and rushed by need for action by incompetent government, I am a man of science and know that time must pass for answers to be found. An answer found in haste is only a palliative. The cure will come later. How long this pestilence will stay in the land, I do not know. We seem in its jaw and its grip shows no sign of slacking. Many hundreds have died, so I have been informed. The doctor himself, in his usual whispering, told as much, so I am confined to quarters, as I am not a well man. My lady Joan and Ely wishes I visit. I had to reply in the strongest terms. I am afeard to do so, lest I bring whatever blight I may be carrying in my carriage. The risk is too great, the cost too high. I should like to nestle with her again when the tide has turned and the scourge scourges no more. The only way, alas, to ensure that deliverance is to restrict visitations to the minimal in the extreme. I permit only my doctor. I should by training be able to administer my own treatment. But it has made my grasp slip and my hands tremble. 
It takes all of my effort to maintain the equipment to make this record of my thoughts. Oh, and now sleep. I must sleep. This morning I burned my wig from London. Again, Samuel instructs he burned his some time ago. He postulates it is possible it is made from the hair of the dead. I do not take chances. So it was cast to the flames at first light. I woke quickly, gripped with the thought, and I felt all the better for enacting. I then dispatched a final letter to Samuel telling him of my action, thanking him, and regretfully saying that perhaps further correspondence may be a risk to us also. And so ended our conversation. I signed it, saying we would speak again when this horror has passed. God preserve us. His previous letter I also cast to the flame. It was only once I did so that I thought of my lady and the letter I had writ. Could that be carrying the pestilence that could lurk in my body? I hope I have not sown that seed. I pray for her each night, but tonight I shall pray until I drift into sleep. On that point, I could not sleep last night. My dreams were fevered with dread and terror, clasping hands, pulling me downwards into the earth, into the mud, wailing cries of the dying and the stone silence of the dead, blackness encroaching on me and crushing my chest, my lungs wheezing black viscous, my lady crying in terror, crying in horror as her hair falls and her eyes turn dead and stale, her still gaze fixed on me, holding me frozen and unable to move, accusing me with furious anger. I plead, I beg, I insist, I, I, I am sorry, cry for forgiveness. She looks away, her skin translucent and empty, the sunlight penetrating through her, and then she's gone. Whistled away with the wind. And then I woke. It was this vision that put the fear into me that I may have, through my simple letters of affection and comfort, given passage for the sickness I tremble to think of. I only hope my prayers are enough. My doctor is peculiar in his manner and demeanor. He is tall and thin of figure, in long black robes that conceal every inch of flesh, his head hidden beneath a highwayman's hat and a gaunt mask that protrudes almost as a beak. I have seen him stalk the street at dusk when the mist is low, his candle illumining him in a halo, but I see no cart of the dead. 
No bodies stacked high. He works alone. Perhaps he makes judgment first, makes his report to those who collect the dead, and is on his way. It cannot be an easy life for my doctor. I see him in the dark, stooping to enter the doorways of the unfortunate, marked with the crimson cross. As I watch, I can feel a dread in me, fearing his approach. I oft wonder what he must say about me, what reports he must make of my condition, what my prognosis must be. And I wonder... <laughs> he is here. A most disturbing thing has happened that defies my explanation. Just now, as I have spake, I went to allow my doctor entry to my chamber. Again, he stooped to enter the room, dressed as always in black and hat and mask, his breathing rustling and muffled, never changing, always constant and unworried. It could be calming to some, and indeed I have no doubt that it is, but to me it grows sinister. Unerring, unnerving. Sometimes I can scarce believe a living being resides among the garb he wears. Anyway, this is not what disturbs me. I opened the door, and his ghostly figure greeted me with wisps of the mist fringing him. He eased past me and placed his solitary candle on my table. I caught a glance of my door before I closed it shut and was relieved to see it was free from any daub of red. No red cross, no death mark for me. He administered his usual treatment, examined my body, and said nothing. I believe it is possible the contagion is spread through word of mouth. I have not heard otherwise. His silence could be medicinal. And... And then he left. A pat on my shoulder to signify the examination's end. He then retrieved his candle and left my home. It was then I saw it. As he opened the door, as it swung inwards for a moment or two, on its outward surface were scrawled the thick red lines of a cross. The mark of oblivion that had not been there but moments before. So who daubed it there? I have not seen him work in partnership. I have seen no emissary scuttle from doorway to doorway, daubing the scarlet paint. My doctor is forever alone. So who put the mark on my door? How came it there? I felt my blood freeze as I saw it and shook my head with disbelief. above the pit of hell itself. God save my soul. (sighs) 
I do not know what day it is. I am a spent man. I did not sleep last night. I could not. As I lay in my bed, I could see the scarlet cross burn through the outside of my door and into the interior. It is not real, but there it was in my mind's eye. And my beloved Joan before me. And as night burnt away into the dawn, I am certain my doctor was with me, standing at the foot of my bed. I could hear his muffled breathing, steady as always. With a blink of my eye, he was gone, and morning was upon me. Oh! Oh! I feel great discomfort within great distemper. The light from my window seems stale and hollow and grows dimmer every morning. Some great snuff is being lowered on the flame of my life. I do not know nor cannot say how much longer I may have until my doctor comes once more for his final visitation. I am also nearing the end of what materials I need to maintain the apparatus I use to document my... these documentations that I trust you are listening to this very moment. Wax is hard to come by now. When this cylinder is complete, I shall have nothing more. So I feel that I must choose my words and make them significant and of import. My doctor says it is nearly time. I do not recall him entering my chamber, but there he was, as always looming over me, his husking breath restrained and unchanged. In fact, he says my time has already passed. And somehow I remember how limp my body went, how gaunt I had become, how still in death I fell. I was spent, but life still clung to my bones. There I sat on the edge of my bed, upright and alive, it ebbing from me, but palpably alive. And then, with a stroke, it was extinguished. And what I remember, before my body slackened and fell asunder, was my doctor standing before me, his candle flickering on the table beside him, his slender skeletal hand raising, and his empty face, as the beaked mask was withdrawn from it, the hollow features, the creature that was not man, the eyes that were grey as snow, that seemed for all the world to not be his own, but chosen for my benefit. A featureless face, a mouth that appeared as a pencil smudge that blurred and ruptured the face.
The pull as his intake lunged for my soul and the inexorable grip that ripped it from my body. All that remains is this whisper of who I was. A living shadow. And like a shadow, I am fading. Soon I will be nothing. Just this voice in wax. A corpse for the cart. And he will find another. Find another. Scarlet Cross was performed by Anton Lesser and written by James O'Neill with sound design and music by Paul Freeman.